So that said, I do want to begin uh, into our lesson for today. I am Joe Collins, and I know last Sunday we were not here. Hopefully you didn't come here by accident, but we were actually at Oxnard Beach Park, and we were enjoying a great uh, time of uh, worship time and time of fellowship out at the park with some of our other sister churches. But uh, for today, I want to move us back into our series, or, or return to our series, Jeremiah the Branch of an Almond Tree. But I want to make a change to how we do the series. You see, up to this point, we basically have moved more or less chronologically through the first six chapters of Jeremiah, which basically cover the 40 years of his life and ministry that he spent in Judah some 2,500 years ago. We began in chapter 1 with his calling. We ended, last time I spoke, two weeks ago, with the imminent destruction of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah and the temple. Now in doing so, in, in, in going through the book as we have thus far, We've really gotten the arc of Jeremiah's life and story. It's sort of a sad story. He's called the weeping prophet. He preached for some 40 years to the people he loved, his, his nation, the nation of Judah, calling them to repent. But no one really did. There was some. There was a remnant. But... By and large, the nation refused to repent, and as a result, God had ordained the nation of Babylon to rise up, to sweep into the land of Palestine, and destroy the nation and carry them away into captivity. So Jeremiah, in some ways, had little success as a preacher and a prophet. But beginning in chapter 7, the book becomes less and less chronological, and it starts to go in many different directions. It becomes more thematic, even more situational. And a matter of fact, it sort of skips around throughout the 40 years of Jeremiah's life and of his ministry. It zooms in and out at various moments in those 40 years. And so... I would like to do the same with our lesson in our series on Jeremiah. I, I would like the freedom to move away from just going chapter by, and verse, chapter and verse each Sunday, but to get into more themes and situations. And we'll just explore the book through that lens as we go forward. Today, I'd like to zoom in on a theme for the next few weeks that I'm calling cringeworthy things God made Jeremiah do. <laughs> who knows who this is? Latka, that's true, but who is the actor? Andy Kaufman. He was an American performance artist. Performance artist is someone who lives their art. And few did it better than Andy Kaufman. In fact, even people close to him never really knew when he was acting and when he was being himself. And this made for some very interesting, must-see 
TV. And some very cringeworthy moments in modern entertainment history. I'm going to show a video. Forgive the graininess of it. It's a couple minutes long. But it gives you, if you don't know who Andy Kaufman was, and I'm speaking primarily to this group of people right here. Yeah. You know. That's hey. That's um, I want you to get a sense of who he was. So in the video, he's the guy with the neck brace on. It's cringeworthy. I'm warning you now. Turn it down just a little bit. Sound guy is. Or 
great? Are you guys really friends? No, no, no. I can warm up to this day with a You have one of two reactions, right? You cringe or you laugh. What did you do? Did you cringe or did you laugh? You know, I've been through both as well. It's cringeworthy, right? It's been, it's been revealed many years later that that actually was agreed upon in a staged moment on David Letterman. They did that on purpose. But it proves the point of the kind of person Andy Kaufman was. He invested himself 110% into his art, even to the point of taking a slap on national television. He did all kinds of other crazy things. But you know, in many ways, prophets like Jeremiah were a lot like performance artists. They were so dedicated to their calling that it was hard to separate the person from the message, leaving us with some of the most cringe-worthy moments in Bible history. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into Jeremiah chapter 7 and look at one of these cringe-worthy moments. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we ask for you to be with us now and open our hearts up. Help us to see your word as you want us to see it. Help us to get beyond our norms and our conventions and really allow you just to be who you are which sometimes can be a bit challenging for us, especially when you don't fit the mold that we think you should fit in. Thank you, God, that you're not tame, that you're more wild than we think you are. It's awesome. It's awe-inspiring. It's frightening. Thank you for people like Jeremiah and the prophets of old who were willing to live the message that you put on their heart. Help us in a small way. Imitate them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim his message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways, your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways your act and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner 
or the fatherless or the widow, or do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, perjury, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe? Safe to do detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? Chapter 7 is the beginning of what's called the temple addresses. They continue all the way through to chapter 10 of Jeremiah. Not long after good King Josiah died... And during the reign of his successor, bad king Jehoiakim, somewhere in the early 600 BCs, Jeremiah was asked by God, commissioned by God, to make his first public appearance since the change of leadership in Israel. God told Jeremiah to go to the temple in Jerusalem, stand at its entrance, for an extended period of times, weeks, months, who knows, and preach a message of repentance that all Judah would hear. The language of this message is reminiscent of the Ten Commandments, murder, adultery, idolatry, And there's an emphasis here on justice, fidelity, honesty, and faithfulness. As I said before, though, these temple addresses had very little effect on the nation. Because the people were under a false impression that they could continue in their immorality their unethical behavior, and still be preserved by God. They said, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and in this house, we are safe. You know, it's easy to understand why the people might think that way. The temple in Jerusalem had been standing in its place for some 500 years before Jeremiah came on the scene. It had weathered a number of threats in its history, including one maybe 100 years before Jeremiah, under good King Hezekiah's reign, when the Assyrian army had surrounded the entire city and they threatened to destroy the entire city and everything inside, including the temple, and Hezekiah prayed, and God sent a plague to the army that surrounded the city, and some 180,000 Assyrian soldiers died or fled overnight. It's easy to think that there was something special, something magical about the temple. You know, in ancient times, it was not uncommon to think of deities, gods, as being localized to a land. 
There's actually stories in the Bible of someone coming to speak to a prophet, receiving a blessing or a healing from a prophet, and they would scoop up some of the dirt from where that prophet lived and they would take it back to their home and put it on the ground where they were because they believed that the God of that prophet would be tied to the soil. The Israelites, or the, 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 um, the people of Judah, fell into some of that thinking. That story about King Hezekiah by Jeremiah's day had become legendary. And people mistakenly started to believe that God cared so much about his house, his temple, his temple, his temple, and less about how his people were living and their immorality. I don't know about you, but I go to church for a lot of reasons, and they're all good. Fellowship, encouragement, worship, community. But you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. I don't think those things mean as much if at some fundamental level, I'm unwilling to admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. The people in Judah had separated themselves from, understand, from, from, the, from practicing their religion and attending church. And somehow they didn't connect the two anymore. They could live their lives Monday through Friday or, or Sunday through Friday, I guess, in those days, however they wanted. And then they could go to church on Saturday and worship and everything would be okay. And that is simply not the case. Sometimes I think we get church wrong. We are a lot like the people in Jeremiah's day. We think that by going to church, God saves us or God loves us. And yes, God loves us. But the reality is I go to church because I need to be reminded that I need to be saved. It's so easy. It's so distracting. I mean, it's so easy to think the other way. And there's a lot of distraction out there. And I could, I could easily drift from my, my core beliefs and my core convictions and then run back to church on Sunday and say a prayer and feel better. And then right back into a lifestyle or a practice that is immoral. It's ungodly. It's unrighteous before God's eyes. And is there not a point in time where God says enough is enough? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name. The temple you trust in, the place I gave you and your ancestors, I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. So the city of Shiloh, 27 miles north of Jerusalem, it was originally the center of religious life for the Jewish people. It was the center. It was long before Jerusalem was a thing. 
The city of Shiloh was where the, was where the presence of God was. It's where church was. The tabernacle, they called it in those days, was sort of like a mobile home church for God. It was built during the Exodus, as they left Egypt into the Exodus, the Israelite people, they wandered around in a desert for about a year. They built this great tabernacle according to God's design, and God's presence rested in it. The Ark of the Covenant, the lampstand, the table of showbread, it was all there. And they carried it around wherever they went. And when they finally entered into the Promised Land and they began to establish themselves, they set it up at a city called Shiloh. And for some 350 years, that's where people came to worship God. Until they began to wander into idolatry and immorality, into sin. And and then they began to separate how they lived Monday, sorry, Sunday through Friday, and how they lived on Saturday. And God sent the Philistines to destroy Shiloh. They destroyed the tabernacle, they took the Ark of the Covenant. And Shiloh fell into just disrepair. It was just gone. It was no more. It wasn't until sometime later that David, King David, a good king, found the ark or, or, or received the ark and took it to Jerusalem and actually built the temple that we're talking about now in Jeremiah's day. And so some couple centuries later, here we are again with the same story. The people were worshiping God. All was good for a time, but they easily drifted. They easily fell into immoral ways and into idolatry. And and in spite of all the warnings, in spite of all the concern, God began to send them prophets that said, you better change your ways or something really bad's about to happen. And the people listened less and less and less. And here we are, Jeremiah standing at the foyer to church, the temple, telling the people every Saturday when they're walking in and out that this will not go on forever, that God will destroy this place just like He had done it before. The point. Repentance. Godliness is not optional for the Christian life. It is part and parcel of the Christian life. It's not a coincidence that 500 years after Jeremiah, Jesus Christ Himself entered into the same temple. Not exactly the same because it was destroyed in Jeremiah's day, but it got rebuilt. And in Jesus' day, He went into that same temple in Mark chapter 11. And he saw money changers, and he saw uh, uh, caravanners, and he saw merchants doing their business in the middle of the sanctuary where the Gentiles and the and the and the the wandering sheep of Israel would come to worship God, and they were disrupting and and treating people so badly. Jesus got so mad that he turned the tables over, and he said that I'm going to destroy this temple again, and this time it's going to be for good. And he quoted. Jeremiah 7. You know, at Simi Church, our mission is to love God and people, one household, oikos, the Greek word for household, at a time. You know, that involves identifying who is in your household. 
It also involves praying for them daily. It involves investing in them regularly. It involves inviting them into a relationship with God on a frequent basis. But it also involves preparing ourselves to be Christ to them. And a big part of repentance, a big part of that, of preparing ourselves, is repentance. Not just when we get baptized. Or on Sunday morning when we come together. But throughout our lives and throughout our weeks. Do you model a repentant life to your world? Are you showing the people around you what it looks like to be like Christ to them? Or to be Christ to them? Are you showing them by your example? Verse 16, so do not pray for these people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. Do you not see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers light the fire, the women knead the dough, and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. The whole family's involved in the idolatry. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to arouse my anger, but I am the one they are provoking. But am I the one they're provoking, declares the Lord? Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? So now we come to the cringeworthy moment that God told Jeremiah to do. It's right there in verse 16. He told him to not pray for the people. As bad as I, or as the people I love may be, I've never imagined God asking me or them not to pray for others. That is troubling to me. But that's exactly what God told Jeremiah to do. And remember, these are his people These are his friends and relatives and and, and co-workers and people he bumps into in the marketplace. God told him not to pray for them. Apparently, they had become so unwilling to admit their need for God, to identify that they were sinners in need of a Savior. They had gone so far in their immorality and in their idolatry that they no longer came to church for the right reasons. They just came Because it was magical. It was mystical. Hey, we had to be here because God's going to keep us around as long as we come and do what we're supposed to do here. They had turned it into a magic show. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. It's fun. I want you to imagine for a minute, and it's okay to cringe, and it's okay to laugh at this because it's cringeworthy. And sometimes the only reaction is to cringe or laugh. But I want you to imagine that God speaks to you like a prophet in the days of old. And he tells you, I want you to come to church at See Me Church every Sunday for months, maybe a year. I want you to stand in the foyer. 
And as all your friends walk in, and your family, and your neighbors, and the strangers that decide to come on that day, I want you to announce their sin as they walk in. I'm going to give you the ability to know their sin. And I want you to publicly announce it. Joe Collins, everybody, lied to his wife yesterday. Come on in. <laughs> Lynette Collins, everybody, had a fit of rage while driving on her way to church today. Come on in. Person A is cheating on his wife, everyone. Come on in. Person B got drunk and fell into a stupor and blacked out last night. Person C punched his wife and abused his kids. Person D has been engaging in pornography on and on. It's been going on for weeks, everyone. Come on in. Now, if that isn't bad enough, if that is not enough for God to ask Jeremiah to just do that or you to just do that, then God says to you, then when you go into church and we're having our singing and our worship band's awesome and we have our prayer segment, and Nicole says from the stage, hey, we're going to take a time to pray. Turn to the person next to you and once you guys pray together. And so you're there and the person sitting next to you starts praying. They get done and they say, okay, will you pray for me? And you go, no. And not only will I not pray for you, but even if I did, God wouldn't listen to you to me. I refuse to pray for you. That is a pretty cringeworthy thing to do. And I might add that it didn't win any friends for Jeremiah. And I don't think it would win many friends for you. How long do you think it took before they wanted to kill Jeremiah. How, how long do you think it might take for you to want to kill Peter Wade if he's standing out in the foyer every Sunday confessing your sin and everybody else's and refusing to pray for you? Same day. Same day. <laughs> you know, this business about coming to church with the right attitude is really important we got to come in, not here to, 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 to show our faith and our, our spirituality. That's not why we come here. We come here because every last one of us is lost without a Savior. And that ought to change the way we do church, don't you think? I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. He goes to a different fellowship altogether. He was telling me about a church that's in their same fellowship. And there was a family that moved from that church to, to their church. And the fellowship they moved from was upset that they left. They didn't feel like they should leave. They, they felt like it wasn't a good decision. Now, these are faithful people who went from one church to another church. And the people at the former church are calling them and telling them they're going to hell for leaving the church. 
to go to another church. How many times have we been that judgmental? Maybe not that bad. Oh, we're not that bad, but maybe we are. How many times have we judged someone that we see at church because they rubbed us the wrong way and we wonder why they're doing what they're doing? Why are they here and why are they doing that? How many times have we condemned each other because we don't like how we dressed or how we looked or something we might have said? Or what if we actually sinned? What if I really did lie to my wife? Would you not talk to me? Would you not pray for me? Are you that much better? Church isn't the place to come and be proud of our faith. Church is the place to come and confess our faults. I really believe we got to figure out how to do church different. It's got to feel different. The experience has got to be different for people. I don't think people will come. I heard this phrase, and the older I get as a Christian, and the more I deal with Christians fighting with Christians, and I'm, I'm guilty, the more I go, this, this phrase is true to our shame. And the phrase goes like this. The Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. It is true, brothers and sisters. When we judge each other and we put ourselves above each other and when we are critical about each other, regardless of our sin, you are shooting people who need to be saved, who need to be healed who need to be loved gently into the faith. I have to say that I do believe we are changing. The vibe in this fellowship is so much better than maybe it has been in the past. Maybe you disagree, but that's my take. I feel welcome. I feel like I can confess my sin. I feel like I can admit that I'm lost without Jesus. And I hope I've communicated that to you. And if I haven't, I'm sorry. I want to share a funny thing. Jeremiah chapter 26. Chapter 26 is a repeat of chapter 7. It's the same story told again, some slightly different information. So we know God called Jeremiah, told him to stand at the gate to the temple for a period of time, preach these messages. Everybody came in. He was confessing their sin. He was pointing out their flaws. <laughs> he was challenging them on their hypocrisy and their lack of true religion and all that. And then he was refusing to pray for them. Chapter 26 tells us what happened. 
Verse 10, when the officials of Judah heard about these things, they went up from the royal palace to the house of the Lord, took their places at the entrance of the new gate of the Lord's house. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and all the people, this man should be sentenced to death because he has prophesied against his city. You've heard it with your own ears. Then Jeremiah said to all the officials and all the people, Lord, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city, all the things you've heard. Now reform your ways and your actions and obey the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent and not bring the disaster he's pronounced on you. As for me, I'm in your hands. Do whatever you think is good and right. Be assured, however, that if you put me to death, you will bring the guilt of innocent blood on yourselves and on this city and on those who live in it. For the truth, for in truth, the Lord has sent me to you to speak these things in your hearing. So they really did want to kill him. It really does happen. I promise you, if Peter Wade stood in the foyer, we would eventually want to kill him. If he did these things. That's exactly what happened to Jeremiah. They drug him out and they wanted to kill him. I didn't read the whole story because I want to... I'm going to wrap up here. I don't want to go too long, but he gets rescued by some allies, some friends who were in the area. They come in and they sort of take him away. But I want to draw your attention to verse 14 as we close. Oops. It says, as for me, I am in your hands. Do with me whatever you think is good and right. Jeremiah was totally devoted to his art. He was totally devoted to the message. The man and the message had become one. I can't think of a better description of what repentance is really all about. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's about congruence or bringing in alignment what you believe with what you do. It's about courage, standing up for what you believe in. It's about integrity, doing the right thing even when no one else is watching. I really believe that in every one of us, God has put a little performance artist into us. I really believe he wants us to live the message that he's given to us. I really want, believe that he wants us to be the same person here on Sunday morning that we are on Friday night or Monday morning. But I got to say, when you decide to take that mantle, when you decide to take on that role, when you decide to go all in, you're going to have some cringeworthy moments. There's going to be times where you're going to be challenged by your lack of love, your lack of faith, your lack of trust, your lack of care, whatever it may be. There's going to be times. There's also going to be times where you're going to need to challenge others and have the talks that are very difficult and uncomfortable. 
But I really do believe that if we are committed, even as Andy Kaufman was committed to his art, if we are committed to the message that God's given us, I believe it can change our worlds. I believe we can make a difference in the people we love, in their lives, in the people who are all around us that we love and we care for. So, Allie, we're going to miss you. I know you're coming back, though. I've already secured your word on that. Well, I'm getting it now, actually. You're coming back. But I really want to charge you to go there and be who you need to be to those people. Anyone else that's heading out to another place, school, the workplace, when you go home at night after you get off work, I want to charge you to be who you're supposed to be to those people. I want you to live the message that you've been given and let God bring about the change in their lives. Thank you so much for giving me your attention today. If you want to know more about what it means to be in fellowship with God, to, to kind of bring those two things together, what you believe and how you live, it all starts with admitting you're a sinner who needs a Savior, believing that Jesus is Lord and covenanting with Him at baptism. We got a class the first Sunday of the month. Last one is for the year is going to be this September. But we are going to start the class up next year. We're going to have it more frequently in the new year. So there's more opportunity for people to be able to go and ask these questions and have these conversations. But you don't have to wait for the class. You can talk to someone here. If you're new, talk to the person that invited you. But, you know, if you've been here a long time and there's stuff in your heart, if there's some gaps between what you believe and how you live, find someone you trust and talk to them about it. God doesn't care about this building. He cares about what's inside of you. Go ahead and stand. We'll close out with a word of prayer and you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so very much for this time to come and look at your work.